Coming up next, the bookening reads Jungle Book. Welcome to the Bookening. I am Nathan Alverson, your humble and obedient host. Rather less humble and obedient today, as you may have noted, because yesterday I watched a rather charming documentary on William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal. So I feel that I should engage in a rather more serious form of public engagement. So I feel that I should be an elitist, eastern seaboard-type person. A thing like that, as Pete Campbell on Mad Men would say. That's the sort of thing that I'll be saying, because I'm going to be talking like this for the entire program. Joining me today... (laughs) ...is Mr. Brandon Chastine. How you doing, Brandon? Doing great. The pastor... He's not the pastor. That's the pastor. pastor. I'm sorry, we're all a little uh, something today. Brandon has a baby... Uh, not with me. Not with him, but... <laughs> but at home. At home. A new one. Number, what is this? Five. And uh, Jake has a baby on the way and a life that's busy, and he had a crazy week, I know. How you doing, Jake? I'm alive, and I'm here. Okay, Jake's alive, he's here. We're all alive. We're all here. Maybe not by the time you read this, or listen to this. We might be dead by the time you hear this, but right now, in, in while we're recording, we are alive. Jake is the pastor who's a master of reading. Brandon's PhD, ABD, as we never tire of reminding you. Never. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to the book inning. Today, we're going to do The Jungle Book, and it's by Rudyard Kipling, but I say more like... Crudyard Kipling, whoa, the <laughs> racist imperialist scumbag, scumbag. All right, let's talk about the Jungle Book. Let's do it. What's that sound? It's the contextual Texan, our Brandon Chastine's rootin' tootin' segment where he gives some... Context. Context. <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> All right, take it away, Brandon. Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. Are there any rules for the day? Uh, you, no. get one, you get one sentence. One sentence? Whoa. <laughs> yes. Okay, I, that's probably all he needs, right? Yeah. He is Credyard Kipling. He is Credyard Kipling. <laughs> Man, one sentence. I think that's it. Credyard Kipling, <laughs> imperialist scumbag. Okay, <laughs> that's more like a sentence fragment, really. But. A, okay, we can give some background to him. Rudyard Kipling. His name, by the way, comes apparently from a lake they grew up next to in India. His parents loved it so much that they named him Rudyard, which was the name of the lake. Yeah, Rudyard cool. Lake. Wow. So that's why he has such a strange name you've never heard before. And how did before. the lake come to be named Rudyard? I don't know that. <laughs> why don't you know that? Is that I, I should. I'm supposed to be the contextual guy. You are the contextual guy. I was lazy this time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do my etymological history of a lake. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> so he was born in 1865 in India, grew up there, then had to go to boarding school when he was around five, like most young British children did at the time. Apparently had a really horrible childhood with his 
whatever family kept him there. And he says that helped shape his art because it taught him to lie. Hmm. Yeah. Then eventually around 16, he went back to India, was a journalist for a while. And that's when he got into writing. He was like Dickens. He wrote a lot, very young. And it just had an immense outpouring of short stories and poems until finally he moved to America with his young wife and wrote The Jungle Book in Connecticut or Vermont, one of those two places. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Vermont. Vermont. And he, he, uh, there's an inscription that he wrote it for his young daughter, Josephine. And that was in 1894 when he was roughly 29 or 30. And four years later, his daughter would die. And they said that shaped the rest of his life. He didn't write the same sort of stories or with the same sort of joy that he wrote as a young father. And so as far as context goes, the Jungle Book comes out of a father telling his children these stories. So the the other things that you might want to know about Kipling, as you said, he's known as being an imperialist. That comes from Orwell was one of the first to really attack him for that. But then as you move into more of the academic territory, like we, we did with Austin, people accusing her of being a feminist, though they didn't accuse her of that. They actually praised her for that. You have this new movement called post-colonialism with modern academics. And the whole point of this is to look back on old British literature and attack it for the way that it represented the Indians or the colonial subjects of the British Empire and to say that it was all about power making and presenting the British Empire as this glorious thing in empire making. And um, he's wrapped into that. So you have Spivak and you have Homi Baba, <laughs> these guys who um, have been spearheading this sort of attack on him. And maybe some of it's fair. And then the last thing that is good context, just broader context as far as the storytelling goes for the Jungle Book in particular, is the debate whether this is fable or whether it's allegory. The fable would be animal stories that end with a moral. And it fits the Jungle Book because they end with these little poems that are supposed to wrap up the moral of the story. And so the animals represent um, things that the children could relate to who are listening to the story, and it tells them some truth about life. The allegory would be more that these are representations of actual British society. Like um, the monkeys are yeah, this yeah. group of people and, and this it, and then that. It fits best with like the last story, Her Majesty's Servants. Right. Where these animals actually kind of are stand-ins for the masters that they have over them. And so, you know, there's this debate. I don't even really know if it's debate because it probably is kind of both. It's fable and allegory. But yeah, I mean, it's a brief context to Rudyard Kipling. But I don't know if we need much more. He did coin the phrase into- white man's burden. He did. Uh, he wrote a poem that's like go on on white man and it's a strange poem did you read the whole thing i did it's hard to tell what he's doing with it but yeah the white the phrase white man's burden comes from that that poem he he coined it and the point of it is the white man has a burden to take his society and his discipline and his order out to people they've subjected that is that's rudyard kipling there's a lot more to him that's not as important for the Jungle Book that happened. After that, he was a big proponent of the Bo- I don't know how you say it, the Boer Wars mm-hmm. and um, World War One. He 
wrote a lot of propaganda against the Germans. And he felt, kind of fell out of favor even in his lifetime, right? Yeah, he did. Even while he was writing, you had the rise of guy, the counter-elite in the literary world, like Oscar Wilde and those guys mm-hmm. who despised Rudyard Kipling and George Orwell, as I mentioned, hated him too for his imperialism. So, when did when would that George Orwell have written his essay? That would have been a little later on. Right? It would have like been thirties, forties, something yeah. like that. If people would want to read more of Rudyard Kipling, his other master, just those stories is obviously great. What are the novels that people should read? Captain's Courageous and Kim. Kim. And, is that it? I think he has another volume of stories, The Puck of Pook Hills. The Puck of Pook Hills. <laughs> <laughs> Or the Pook of Puck Hills or something <laughs> like that. That's fairly popular. Okay. But yeah. The Those majority, are the ones and there's no like hidden gems or anything. It's it's Not mostly. that I know of. He wrote a lot of essays later in his life. Um, went back to his journalistic roots. But the majority of his artistic output happened early in life. And a lot of the stuff that I read attributes that to the death of Josephine around the turn of the century. She died and his artistic output and energy kind of died with her. So, Did he identify as a Christian? Funny you should ask that. I read a weird article this morning that said kind of, but he was also into Masonic beliefs and had these weird mystic ideas. So it was a, a hybrid of his um, growing up in India and the sort of elite tendencies of the time to go towards the Masonic ideals and also some Christianity. Yeah, in. what I so, saw, he seemed to be a very, for the time, what you would call a modern man, I suppose. A, yeah. uh, he was into Freemasonry. He was uh, very much aware of Darwin and intrigued by that yeah. whole thing. Yeah, he didn't believe in resurrection, but he did believe in Christian morality. It was the point of the article. I know his wife and his mother, when his child died, had her cremated and there were no religious services. Yeah. Um, I don't think there were any private religious services for Kipling. I, there was obviously a big to-do in Westminster, you know, whatever. But yeah. Well, apparently Kim, I, I haven't read it, but there's some sort of religious figure who's an Indian. And he goes off and to a hill surrounded by nature and becomes an ascetic. Hmm. And that's kind of held up, held up as a religious ideal. I could be completely wrong about that. but so. Only you can find out, reader. Yeah. Or, what are you called? Listener? Listener. By going on Wikipedia or by... Oh, there you go. You could go on Wikipedia. Google. <laughs> or by reading Kim. All right. Hey, what's that sound? It was the airplane. Indicating baggage check. What baggage did you bring to the Jungle Book, Jake? I brought the Jungle Book. So you'd read the Jungle Book before? No, I brought the Disney animated version. Oh, yeah. that thing. I brought some fun and interesting songs. And what what was that? Like two stories of the Jungle Book smushed into one full-length animated feature film? And then film. completely kind of distorted. <laughs> <laughs> and twisted and stretched out. And yeah. characters sort of you know changed dramatically. Yeah. and. I was surprised by how much of the Disney movie I did bring with me just by accident because I thought I was sophisticated enough to, you know, not bring the Disney movie with me. But things kept taking me by surprise that I just took for granted. Like, for instance, the fact that Ka was not a villain. It took my brain a long time to wrap its head around the fact that Ka wasn't a villain. It's kind of shamefully long, like, into the story before I realized, oh. Ka's a good guy. Ka's a good guy. Except for... 
except for he's not, you know. But just realizing that he wasn't going to betray them or something took me too long. And, and, and it's a lesson in the fact that I'm an idiot. Um, but also just the fact that the Disney movie is pervasive. and Yeah, Baloo was disjarring. Oh, yeah. Because I kept expecting him to be Baloo, but he wasn't Baloo. Mm-hmm. He was the teacher of the jungle, and he was kind of the Disney version, but not at the same time at yeah. all. And Bagheera, it, it was, it was, it took me. It was hard to even wrap my head around who Baloo and Bagheera were because the Disney versions are so strong in my head that it was hard to figure out what personality types Kipling was actually even going for with those characters. And I don't know whether that's just my totally my fault or maybe a little bit Kipling's fault or mostly Disney's fault. I'm not sure. Well, quite a bit of it would be Disney's fault because yeah. Disney seeps into everything, mm-hmm. and so they've distorted. Sorry for those of you who like Disney. They've distorted um, Grimm's fairy tales, mm-hmm. and they've distorted a lot of different stories that are better in their original non-cotton-candied versions. But then Disney comes along and adds a few songs and makes them nice, and then they build a theme park and make billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So. Pretty pretty smart, really. <laughs> it was a good business move, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Cotton candy sells. Yep, 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 it does. And I like Disney, but uh, I like real things that don't suck as well. Um, so, yeah, that would be my baggage check. Uh, my baggage check, I guess the only th- other thing I would say is I did not realize when we chose the Jungle Book how much of it I already knew and had read as a kid. In particular, there was one story, Ricky Ticky Tavi, which was incredibly powerful to me as a little kid. But I had no idea it was from Kipling. I was It was a joy to rediscover it reading it now because – that was a that story was a big deal. I loved that story and that silly '60s animated cartoon by Chuck Jones. I knew I knew Ricky Ticky Tavi quite well, but I had no idea it was Rudyard Kipling A, and certainly didn't know it came from the Jungle Book. So that was fun. What's your baggage, Brandon? Similar, the Disney movie. I had I hadn't read a lot of Kipling until the Jungle Book. I read. When did you read the Jungle Book? You didn't just read it for the first time for the, this. No, actually, yeah. You did? This okay. was the first time. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Did you guys read it to your kids, any of it? Yeah. I I did all but the last story. Okay. Same. How'd they like it? They enjoyed it. Some stories more than others. They really got into Ricky Ticky Tavi. My kids far and away were engrossed and uh, more engrossed by Ricky Ticky Tavi than any of the other stories. Although Peter would say he liked the Mowgli stories better. But actually my kids... I usually got at least one or two complaints every story about the length of yeah. them, especially the younger kids wandering away or not really caring. Yeah, Henry didn't care, but Henry's just it, three. It, Peter's, he just turned eight last week. Was he about the right age for, for he, it? He, I think he was the only one that was. Lucy a little bit, until Ricky Ticky Tavi, and that drew... Uh, Ian was maybe the most gripped by that one. That's just a crowd pleaser of a story. Yeah, Yeah. Ian's four. Right. Yeah, Jack, who just turned five, he liked Ricky Ticky Tavi. He still asks me to make the noise of Ricky. Well, I'd like to ask you you? to make that noise, please. Oh, good grief. (laughs) (laughs) Ricky Ticky 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 Ticky. <laughs> nice. How's your Ricky Ticky Tavi noise go, Jack? Ricky Ticky 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 Ticky. 
Ricky ticky 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 my kid's least favorite part of the books were the <laughs> having to sit through the poems. poems. I'm with your kids on that one. <laughs> you know, I always resent poetry when people try and stuff it in. I resented it when Tolkien did it. That's just how much of a brute I am. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to read like, a, some prose here, a story. You're reading a good story, and then the author, who wishes they were a poet, right. enters, <laughs> inserts He was like the book. poet laureate of Britain, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah. I, he also was a Nobel laureate. It's, it's like Chesterton, all these guys, all these beloved guys, they always like, listen to my poetry. Um, <laughs> I take it back. Kipling was a fine poet. <laughs> and he... Since he was laureate and all that stuff. <laughs> he was well aware of that fact. Um, Elliot really liked Tumai of the Elephants. I actually thought that that was the second most engaging. For the kids. Story for the kids, yeah. All right, let's talk about the Jungle Book. Let's let's get into it. Let's uh... lead the way, fearless leader. <laughs> go ahead. No, I don't know what I was going to say. It was, I was just, it was funny work. Like we're about to have to go into the jungle of this book and none of us really want to. <laughs> well, I actually, I, I solved that problem today, guys, because I didn't know how to do the jungle book. So I ordered a device online. It's called a QuestionTron 2000. <laughs> yes. Are you guys excited about oh, this? Oh, sweet. I'm just going to get this out. <laughs> putting the QuestionTron 2000. There I we go. I wish you guys could oh, see this thing. Yeah. Okay. It's amazing. <laughs> Brandon, can you describe it's... that? Oh, it's... It's like it's, a big kind of... It's like a big me- metallic box. It's, it's got, larger it's than got, a bread box. Yeah, it is, large, larger, is it larger than a bread box? It's, it's smaller than a bus. Okay. <laughs> um, it's got some shiny light things on the top, but like Edison lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they glow. Yeah, they're, they're glowing really. It's making some whirring noises. It is making some whirring noises. A lot of little... There's a little accordion looking, what do you call it? Yeah, yeah. Accordion looking Accordion looking Dr. Seuss could have designed this thing. Question Tron 2000. Hello, Question Tron 2000. Say hello to the question, Tron. Hi. Hi. And uh, I ordered this on uh, eBay and uh, also Warhorn. I need uh, $13,000 from Warhorn Media. (laughs) Jake, if you could. So anyway, this thing. Well, for our listeners. For our listeners. I figured it was the right thing to do because I didn't know how to talk about the Jungle Book. So I got the question, Tron 2000. What you do is you put your book in the slot here and it generates questions and uh, it's supposed to make your podcast really exciting although it was actually banned by the podcast council for being dangerous for some reason Uh-oh. oh no. but you know those those guys are a bunch of stuffed shirts i don't yeah. know why so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna everybody knows that <laughs> so i'm gonna go ahead and put the jungle book into the question tron 2000 i'm putting it in what's it doing can you describe what it's doing it's shaking and worrying and the lights are glowing brighter <laughs> The accordion thing is starting to move faster. There's a little bit of steam coming out now, smoke. Oh, and it's generating a question. Okay. Uh, Okay. I got the question here that it has generated. I'm just going to read you guys this question whenever you're ready. It says, the bomb has now been activated. Answer the question correctly or you'll all be blown to smithereens. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. I think I'm beginning to see why this Question Tron 2000 was banned <laughs> by the Podcast Council. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess this will make for a more exciting podcast, eh? Way hey. exciting, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, what's, what's your question, Question Tron 2000? Ask away. 
<laughs> All right. We have the question. We need to answer this or a bomb will blow us all to smithereens. The question is, what makes a good children's story? Everybody's looking at me. We got to answer this question or we'll be born right. to smithereens. So do we all just add to this? Oh, what I think what we need to do is talk through the entire Jungle Book and then give the answer at the end of the episode so that we have an episode and we don't get blown to smithereens at the at the front. So Let's let's figure this out, but we can start with a theory. What makes a good what makes a good children's story, Brandon? You have to have a character the child can relate to. Okay. You have to have an enemy that's real. Okay. And you have to have a tension that needs to be resolved, and that gets very clearly and happily resolved by the end of the story. All right, that's not our answer. Question: Try to. What, what do you think? I, I I don't know about the happy ending because I know I've read some good children's stories that have sad endings, but I think that's mostly true. you're probably right. Well, let's uh, let's let's talk through the Jungle Book and see uh, see how it stacks up to this. Jake, what 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 is the Jungle Book? The Jungle Book is not a Disney story. So, what is it? Is it a novel? It's a collection of short stories by Rudyard Kipling. Are they about Mowgli and Bagheera and Baloo <laughs> and the Bare Necessities? Some of them are about Mowgli and feature Bagheera and Baloo and no Bare Necessities. No Bare Necessities. Uh, but some of them are quite different. Different characters, different settings, different scenes. Are they all set in the jungle? They're not all set in the jungle. What? Uh, I know. It's weird, right? That is Totally weird. flipped my kids yeah, out. More like Crudyard Kipling. <laughs> um, One set on an island and in the sea and over the sea and under the sea. And one set, I guess, in the plains or it seems like mongooses or mongeese or however you say. How do you say that? <laughs> What's the plural of mongoose? Mongeese. <laughs> mongeese, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I like mongeese. <laughs> a flock of mongeese. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got... They're plain creature, plains creatures. We should just say you've got three stories. There's only three stories about Mowgli. Mowgli. Mog, <laughs> there's only three stories about Mowgli. I'm back to my... Uh, um, there's three stories about Mowgli. There's... A story about a stupid seal that I yeah. hate. There's a the story of the mongoose. The story of the mongoose. Ricky Tiki Tavi. Can we hear it again, Brandon? <laughs> no, sorry. What, <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Kids get a kick out of it. <laughs> I do too. Uh, and there's the story of uh, Tumay of the ele- elephants. Tumay is not an elephant. He's a child. But Tumay of the elements. <laughs> Tumay of the elements. And then there's the story about some talking animals. Call her at the end. The British are awesome. Uh, so that's what <laughs> that's what the Jungle Book's about. So, so you said what? Are, what are your three things? We engaging just, character. Engaging character. So I was thinking you have Mowgli. Mm-hmm. You have Ricky Ticky. You have and in the my, boy in the boy, yeah, because they they, they really they could think of the mongoose as being their pet, yeah, right. Yeah. There was a relationship that's they can identify with. Well, almost every character. Let's 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 talk about the characters in this in these short stories. Almost every character is a boy surrogate. I would say, um, even the white seal. It's not. Uh, it's like I always think I always thought that Robin was lame as a kid because I didn't want to be Robin. I wanted to be Batman. 
I didn't care about them trying to draw me into the story that way. You know, I just wanted to be an adult. I just wanted to be Sir Lancelot or King Arthur. But that's not how these stories work. These stories are very specifically about me as a boy. If I'm an eight-year-old reading these stories, I imagine that I'm Ricky. I imagine it's not one day I'll grow up to be the great, you know, Sir Lancelot, or one day I could be Batman. It's I'm Ricky. This is my adventure. I'm Mowgli. Does that distinction work or make sense? Yeah, it does. They're yes. nodding. Yes, it does. <laughs> okay. I was trying to nod really loudly. Right, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could hear the rattle. So all these characters are kind of surrogates for the children, specifically the young boys that read this story. Uh, so is that does that tell us something about a good children's story? That particular aspect of it is is that the kind of, do we need someone that they can identify with is is that the highest good is for them to be able to put themselves in the character's shoes as a kid well i did think that that was one of the difficulties of these stories was finding that hook mm-hmm. where my kids felt like they could connect with with even with mowgli hmm. Or any of the other characters. That's why I think Ricky Tiki Tavi was so had yeah. such a strong impact because they could imagine themselves both as Ricky, but also the the family that that Ricky was a part of was much more identifiable, recognizable to them, and they could imagine themselves being the little boy in bed with the the pet mongoose who's protecting them, and yeah. so they could make that transition back and forth. Um, in a way that, you know, Mowgli lives in a tension that's foreign. He has no family. He's not of the wolves. He's not of the of men. And the men aren't, the jungle people are more uh, civilized than the men um, in, the, in those stories. So you've, you've, I think maybe as a kid, they felt a little sort of disoriented and displaced, which, you know, is how Mowgli felt. But um, I don't think that that made for as strong a connection as as I expected. Hmm. Uh, Did they connect more to Mowgli? I'm just curious in the second story where he's kind of behaving like a bratty kid for a lot of it. No, I, I felt, I mean, I'm reading and so I'm, it's hard to read and engage everything all at once, but I felt like mother wolf Raksha protecting uh, uh, Mowgli from uh, Shere Khan and then the whole pack mom and dad and, and the brothers all caring for Mowgli and standing up for him. I felt like all of that resonated maybe more than, than the middle story. And then the final story where Mowgli didn't feel Mowgli's alone here and there. And, um, doesn't know where to fit and then finally kills Shere Khan and goes back home to mom. I felt like that connected more with them. I felt like the middle story was more of a blah. They liked Kaw. Yeah. And were scared of Kaw. Yeah. End. You could tell. Mm-hmm. My children, they, had, they were uncomfortable with what Kaw was doing there with the monkeys at the end, circling them, ar- circling around right. them. They could feel the danger of that, and Kipling's really good at those sorts of descriptions. Mm-hmm. But... Children need those sort of relationships. And I think that's why Ricky Tiki Tavi meant more to them because you have the father and the mother at the end with the boy at the table and the father grabs the son. They can feel that. And they know that sort of relationship. But yeah, Mowgli is strange to them. But at least there was the mother wolf and at least mm-hmm. there there was the danger of being killed by Shere Khan. And um, yeah, so to amend what I said earlier about children's stories – that, that's one type of children's story. Sure. I would say the other thing would be if you don't have that sort of main character that you can connect to, then you at least need to have a narrator who is telling a story in such a way that the children feel engaged. 
And so that's where the relationship comes from is with the storyteller. Mm -hmm. I thought of this because of the, my first introduction to Kipling was reading the kids um, just so stories. Yeah, me too. And there you feel the father loving the children mm-hmm. in the way that he tells the stories. Yes, absolutely. And you get to call your child my my best beloved, and they like that. You know, mm-hmm. Jack loves me to read him those stories because of that. And you get those with some of the fairy tales. They might not feel the relationship as much, but the, the way the story is told to a child really matters. Mm-hmm. I think Tolkien's a master of that with The Hobbit. Absolutely. Yeah. They love, yeah, my kids yeah. were – enthralled with the hobbit and yeah. i read that a couple of years ago so my oldest was probably six maybe seven yeah and all the kids on down yeah they well, feel engaged they they like tolkien and they all cried at the end yeah well we've recorded an episode which hasn't come out yet regarding our favorite books and i'll talk a little bit more about what tolkien and lewis's both uh, narrative voices meant to me in that one did you have something else you wanted to say about that brandon no i would just say i think ricky ticky tavi has that the most of any of the stories. Absolutely. It, mm-hmm. See, it, it was di- it was different. It felt different. Yep. Almost out of place, like it belonged in another book. But you, you had a different narrator speaking to you. Yeah, I would say these stories don't feel unified to me. I don't know the history of the composition of them. It does not feel like they really particularly belong in the same, it just feels like a random kind of grab bag. You got the three Mowgli stories, then you got this random seal story, then you got Ricky and uh, Tumay, which both maybe could be in the same book. And then you have this weird animal parable thing about imperialism, which feels like a totally, doesn't even feel like a children's story to me. It feels more like an, a magazine story for yeah. an adult. It's the most fable of all of them. Well, in the sense that, maybe not fable, maybe it's more allegory. Jake's giving me a confused look here. You feel uh, his desire to moralize and teach the children about order and, well, the white man's burden comes out the most in that story. What, what did you guys feel about these characters and all these stories and especially insofar as reading them to your children, what your kids were picking up on as far as the morality of the characters and what made someone good and what made someone bad. Uh, First of all, in Kipling, what does make someone good and what does make someone bad just based on these stories? Well, clearly one of the things that makes you good is following the the law law. of the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. So there are clear laws. But see, that was very interesting. Law, order, and civilization. Law, order, and civilization is important. And yet each story is about a character that somehow breaks out of his cast in some weird way. It's about the the stories are all about outcasts that rise above, that are just a little bit rebellious. Those two things almost felt... Not conflictual, but I thought that they, it was interesting that they were from the same author. Hmm. I mean, maybe it's just that we're the white man, and so we're exceptional. You know, maybe maybe the the character in each story is is the exception that proves the rule. But the whole thing is about the law of the jungle, and yet each story is about somebody that you know. It's not just it's not just this caste system. It's also Tumay manages to be better than that, to be something more than what his father wants him to be. Ricky Ticky Tavi. Yeah, but to me, what makes him better, well, it's... That he understood the law of the jungle deeper than everybody else. It's that he rose above his stupid Peterson, whatever, you know, took in... The white man took interest in him because he was rising above his peers. Right. Almost to the level of Peterson, maybe, someday. Yeah. You know? Right. But am I wrong to feel a tension there between... Part of this book almost feeling like well, 
a defense of the caste system and part of this book feeling like an attack on it. Yeah, because you have the last story that is a, is a defense of the caste system. Maybe not the Indian caste system, but yeah, at least just, the hi, it's the hierarchical system of Britain. That's a better word. You have the queen, then you have her servants, which thus the name of the story, I guess. The queen and her servants. And everyone needs to know their place and be happy in their place. And then you have every story does. The white seal who's not happy yeah, in you have place. these place. Mowgli who's not, yep. can never be happy in any place. You've got Ricky Ticky Tavi who's happy because he makes an awesome place for himself because he's that awesome. You've got, what are the other stories? Those are the stories. You've got Tumay who's not happy just to listen to it, what his father wants for him. Um, I felt the conflict there. Well, they're they're aspiring to something. Mowgli's aspiring to something bigger and better than the law of the jungle and the civilization of the Indian tribe or whatever that's you know out there in the woods. And so, but it seemed to me that part of the lesson of some of these stories was don't aspire to something better; just be content with your place in the system. The, like well, the all one. the Mowgli stories defy that because Mowgli has no place in a system to be content in, and. To, the moral of Tumai is not for him to be content in that in his station. So what that gives you is Ricky Tiki Tavi, where Ricky is grows into being a mongoose mm-hmm. and is content being a mongoose, and then Her Majesty's servants. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Just that. No, I don't know what I'm trying to say either. Well, even with the Mowgli stories, he doesn't break the law of the jungle, and when he does, it's bad for him. Right. Like he talks right. to the Bander Log, and then they take him away. And right. it's it's bad for him. Well, and well, so even then, he's innocent of breaking yeah. any law. He doesn't he doesn't know. Baloo's never spoken. That's why yeah. Bagheera is so angry. That's right. Baloo's never spoken to him about the Bander log. And so the laws are there, even in the animal kingdom, to preserve order, but also as limits on what you can do for good reason. Because the Bander log, they have no law, and therefore should be shunned. You can't kill a man because he's weak, right? Isn't that the law? I think he actually says something like that. That's what they tell themselves. Yeah. That you, you should never kill a, a, a man because it's because a, a man's weak and makes for poor sport. But also, actually, because when you kill a man, they're going to come after you. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, you also have that fascinating part where Bagheera reveals that he can't look in Mowgli's eyes for more than half a minute. He has to look away, which was just interesting. I don't know what else to say about that. But that was a cool. That was a cool little story conceit. Well, that's a theme throughout. Is the natural places that people have come out physically too. It's yeah. like the camels. They have a place that they're supposed to have. And then the elephant, this is in the last story. He has a, they have these positions in society because of their natural abilities. And so man has this position because of being man, right? And animals can't look him in the eyes and he therefore leads them. But it's not necessarily because man is endowed with anything special from a creator. It's because man is wise and man is advanced and man is superior in some way. Yeah, yeah so there's that weird conversation with the elephant in the last story where he says he's in between, right? He's both wise and animal. And that's why he gets fearful. And you have the other animals who are only by sight, Right? And they don't have that wisdom, but man has wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so there's these natural positions that each thing has. So knowing and rejoicing in your place is one thing that makes a character 
good? What else? What else makes a good guy in in these stories? Courage, yeah. Courage. Fearlessness. And how does how does Kipling define courage? Fearlessness, just forgetting about your. Every, everybody has to forget about their life that they're alive. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a very kind of. You see that in that kind of in in literature and pulp literature from that era. Uh, we're going to be reading Dracula uh, this year, which was published three years after the Jungle Book. All the brave characters are kind of like that in that story. I think of H. Ryder Haggard character. It's, it's not. I mean, there's different kinds of courage, and the kind of courage that is that is found praiseworthy here is the kind of. Uh, Heedlessness, the kind of joyful heedlessness to danger, the kind of mm-hmm. Ricky Ticky Tabby was care- scared for two seconds and then he realized, oh, that's my, my job is to be a snake killer. And then it's almost fun. It's almost, there's a kind of swashbuckling British kind of stiff upper lip quality to it. Yeah, it, Ricky doesn't understand uh, why he should be praised for doing his job. Right. Like he enjoyed it. Yeah. Like, you know, he's sitting there chirping on a. Teddy's shoulder afterwards and they're lavishing praise on him and treating him special and he's like well I'm happy to receive to receive the praise but but I couldn't have I couldn't be flying higher right now on my own and Mowgli has no fear when he faces Shere Khan Mm -hmm. he just it's time for him to do it and he goes and he does it and the bad characters are all sniveling people that know they're afraid. You know, their their heart is dying with them. The cobras see Ricky Ticky Tabby. They know he's death. Shere Khan mm-hmm. is a coward that, you know, is lame in one foot and hunts, you know, the easiest prey. The cattle, yeah. And, you know, none of the other creatures have any respect for him. There's no such thing he as— He corrupts the wolves, and the wolves yeah. go bad by both losing the strength of Akila's leadership and— by becoming cowardly weaklings like Shere Khan. Did you guys feel like that was a proper or good? Are you happy for your kids to learn about courage from Kipling, or is there something a little off about it? I want to. F- I feel like there's something a little bit off about it, but I'm not sure quite that I've put my finger on it yet. Yeah, now that we're talking about it, there is. It feels like there's something off about it. This I I didn't really. I think the strength of Ricky Tiki Tavi is it's the closest thing. Ricky's the closest thing that you, you get, in my mind, to a true hero in any of these stories because it's the closest thing to a sacrificial sort of heroic act that's not completely self-interested. But just the same, it really is with Ricky. You know, Ricky just is, he's a mongoose, it's what he does. Mm-hmm. And if Teddy wasn't there, he still would want to kill the snake. But, you know, he just recognizes that, that that's his job. But you know, with Mowgli, it's vengeance, it's... Self-preservation. Self-preservation. Shere Khan's just a coward, so he deserves to die, you know? Yeah, there's that, there's that funny little um, thing where Mowgli thinks about killing the kids in the village, but it wouldn't be fair to kill a, a naked cub, you know? But he really does esteem the, the villagers as... He says they're no better than the monkeys. Yeah. And it's clear that, you know, that Mowgli... Mowgli and the people of the jungle, because they have a law... And they're not entrapped by all of the weird voodoo Hindu superstitions. Are are more noble in mind and character than the the villagers. And the villagers, yeah. I have not read the second Jungle Book, but I'm pretty sure Mowgli takes pretty awful revenge. I don't know if either of you guys have read the second Jungle Book. I, I think uh-uh. he ends up leading an, an elephant stampede and destroying that village after they mistreat his his mother, really, um, or something like that. So and kills them. I don't know if he kills them. He he 
burns the village to the ground and basically raises it and you know they're they get swallowed up by the jungle whether they're actually killed or not okay um well he spares the whole village for the sake of his mother you know in the first jungle book right. and then we learn that he ends up growing up and getting married right yeah but that's a story for grown-ups Jake. right sorry <laughs> you know ricky ticky is different because you have the father and you have the mother and then you have teddy and you get to see them be afraid yeah of the you get to vipers. see dad care. Yeah. Would dad be the protector and provider? You get to see mom. Mom doesn't even want to think about the idea of a snake being in Teddy's. Yeah. And so the bedroom. one that gets to be fearless and gets to be heroic in a way that's not really human is the mongoose. Yeah. The well, people, you get to watch them be afraid. You get to watch the dad. And dad's going to kill the snake. Yeah. He's going to go get the shotgun. He, he's going to yeah, go get the, the stick. But And he's not so much afraid, as much afraid for himself as he is for for Teddy. For Teddy. Yep. In both both instances. Yep. So you get to see that fatherly relationship where he is telling Teddy to just be still. And in the last story, it seems like the value comes from just the sheer weight and power of the empire marching by this um, barbarian leader who comes to see it. And he gets terrified and then... The punchline is, well, you could have this too if you had discipline and order, right? If you just would have a bit more control. And so that is the theme is that discipline and order and this fearlessness brings value that the the jungle people need. Yeah, I think maybe what I'm beginning to be able to put my finger on what bothers me about it is that there's a fascinating essay, which I'd encourage anybody to read by G.K. Chesterton in his book, Heretics. He talks about Kipling. And uh, he defends Kipling because people say that Kipling is, you know, a proponent of militarism. And Chesterton says Kipling could not care less about militarism. He really couldn't. Kipling's theme is always discipline. And the military just happens to be one place where he finds it. But he's actually at his best talking about bridge builders and all kinds of things. As long as there's discipline, that's actually what Kipling wants to write about and so that was kind of in the back of my head and it reoccurs over and over obviously most obviously in her majesty's servants but then you even have the weird kind of stuff like Mowgli getting kind of jungle spankings from uh Baloo Baloo and Bagheera and (laughs) you know the the little thing about you know after discipline after punishment there's no nagging in the jungle and um that kind of it's, it's just kind of a reoccurring theme and I guess maybe what bothers me about it is it's not a bad it's not a bad moral for me or for kids that uh, discipline and self-sacrifice is good, but Kipling doesn't give me in service of what, mm-hmm. you know, it's just this discipline and self-sacrifice because in and of themselves, they are awesome because in and of themselves, they are, they are an end to themselves. And that's a little creepy somehow. Yeah, I have to, that makes me think about the fact that, you know, I, I've, I really felt like at times my kids sort of needed to be in the milieu in the culture of the British Empire at its height to really get and appreciate the force of the I felt like you know they would know about India they'd know about Afghanistan they would know about they they would have grown up being told about the greatness of the British Empire and have a, a, that sense of imperialistic purpose and in whatever, and these stories would impact them in a very, very different way. 
and so maybe maybe what you said that triggered that thought in my mind was just maybe it was implicit and we just missed it because we're 100 years later and we're Americans. That could be. That could be. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was. But Chesterton, again, which I, I really encourage everybody to read this essay. You can find it online easily. Just put in Chesterton Kipling. It'll be one of your first Google hits. He also says that Kipling doesn't care about the British Empire. I don't mm-hmm. know whether Chesterton's right or wrong, but it's really interesting. You know, he says... Kipling was a cosmopolitan. He lived everywhere. He did everything, and he didn't really—he didn't really ultimately care about the British Empire in the way that someone that really loved the British—I don't know. Chesterton says it better than I do. He says Kipling found things to admire in the British. You know that that discipline, that stuff that Kipling liked. He he happened to find there because it happened to be strong, but he would have found it somewhere else if it hadn't been there. He didn't actually have any loyalty. All he yeah, had he was, was something that he admired. Yeah, I read this on your advising, and um, his main point is that um, Kipling was too global mm-hmm. to have any allegiance to place. Yes. And so he had no allegiance to the British Empire because he was too, like you said, cosmopolitan. He also had allegiance to India and to America and to all these other places he had been. And then he makes the point that this is just the perfect picture of the modern man who in their fast-moving cars and fast-moving trains – have no love for any one place, but just the whole global market and economy. And so that Kipling kind of acts as a stand-in for the modern phenomenon. It's interesting because if Kip- if Chesterton's mm. right, then Kipling basically was the engine that destroyed his own reputation because he created a globalism that has no place for his kind of empire building. Yeah. Which people that I've seen who argue against what Chesterton is saying is – they say, yeah, he has no love for the British Empire. What he actually has a love for is India. And that you see that come out clearly in the Jungle Books. Right. I read one guy that said Kipling was the best Indian writer in English, and yeah. that's how we have to understand him. Yeah. And that may be. I mean, he does have beautiful description. Yeah, I was um, thinking about the fact that I was thinking just how much more powerful this book would have been in the age before the internet and yeah, before TV. I, f- I felt that yeah. the whole way through. If there were, if I couldn't show my kids a mongoose fighting a cobra, which I did as soon as we got done reading so Ricky Ziggy Tabby, yeah. if I couldn't show them a jungle or a tiger, if I couldn't show them what ka what would a what a an anaconda or a boa constrictor would have been like, it would have been so much more exotic and fun and cool mm-hmm. for my kids. But they've seen they've seen these images already, you know. For crying out loud, they've watched lots of Planet Earth. That's interesting. Yeah. Because a lot of what can be mesmerizing about him are these descriptions. Like in Tumaya of the Elephants, when he's laying on the back of the elephant and walking through the jungle Absolutely, at night. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, he describes the wet That was the first thing that I thought of when you said it's, that. It just uh, his ability to evoke pictures through sense, mm-hmm. through, all, through all the senses, through smell. He's, there's that line where he says you could smell dawn coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of beautiful description there. You know that he was – well, he came from a family of artists. His dad was a potter. Um, well, and he and you also – one of the reasons it holds up is because – I mean, you can imagine there being lots of literature in a similar vein around that time period mm-hmm. that was just garbage, that wasn't true, that was yeah. somebody's fancy – but one of the reasons it holds up is that everything he describes resonates with everything that we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, when we've watched Planet Earth or yeah. when we've... And he is a masterful painter yeah. with words. And that, that that is one of the values of Kipling. Absolutely. One of the things I loved most about his writing is that 
you know, his moral agency might not be the best, but his ability to write is amazing. He really can paint pictures, and you can tell why he captured <clears throat> the imagination of so many people. Oh, yeah. If I was a kid at the turn of that century with the access to this book, I just I, I imagine myself spending hours and hours and hours just immersed, just absolutely lost in this world. I mean, just it would be so enchanting. I, I, I love having a smartphone. I love having the Internet. I love the 21st century that we live in. It's great. But uh, there is there would be something magical about letting the imagination do its full work with a book like this that we just you just I mean, I've seen how many hundreds of movies about the jungle and, you know, that does have a diminishing effect on the imagination. It just does. It's one of the trade offs of modern living. And that's OK. Yeah, I think we lose some patience for this kind of description. We don't want the author to describe things too much to us. We're like, well, you know, I get the idea. Right. Let the plot move on. But strangely, some of these are fairly plotless. I mean, they have things that happen, but otherwise they're just little yeah. vignettes. Tutu May especially yeah. is just like one day there was an elephant dance. And, and he saw it. He saw it. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking that most – that thought of the internet through the, throughout the SEAL story. Oh, the internet probably killed the SEAL story for yeah. me as much, you know. As just an alternative, completely different new world, it's, it's really cool. If you don't know anything about SEALs, you don't know anything about – you know the ocean um but uh what i was going to say is that you you have all of these exotic scenes you've got the jungle you've got the jungle people and you've got what's the seal's name like a Kotick or something like that oh yeah 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 and then you've got ricky ticky tabby and suddenly it's a household that you can sort of relate to but it's in the middle of all of this exotic scenery yeah the nice thing about ricky ticky tabby though is that you can Forget about the exotic scenery, actually, if you want to. Yeah, that was my point. Right. My point was that all of a sudden, after you've been in all these far-off places, here's something that, you know, is, really is sort of like home. Mm-hmm. And, and what that does to you as a kid is it gives you the ability to think, oh, yeah, I could be. I- India and these places aren't just way, way, way over there with all these other people. No, that's, there are people like me there. there. There are British boys like me there named Teddy, right. like my friend Teddy, or my name's Teddy. And I could, I could, I could be out there. And, and that can just do more with a kid's imagination and more about his, you know, uh, his play even, playing, the idea of playing in, in the woods or in the jungle or wanting to go to India someday when he, when he grows up. Yeah, if, you've, if you're listening to this podcast for some silly reason and you haven't read The Jungle Book, you got to at least read Ricky Ticky Tabby. I should just say it was an important story for me growing up. We found a snake one time as a kid. I remember waking up in the middle of the night when I was six or seven and my family's all in a tizzy and everybody's, there's a commotion and I go out and there's a snake that had somehow gotten into my brother's bedroom. Not, I think, a particularly bad snake, but my dad managed to catch it under a a cooking pot and we took it to a friend we had who lived a couple towns over in small town USA. And this guy had gotten like an inheritance from his father. He was a friend of my dad's. And with his inheritance, he had decided to start a snake shop in small town USA, which was a great investment. His snake shop actually did fold, surprisingly enough. What? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this guy actually had a snake store. And you could go in and it had these little fish tanks or whatever with snakes. And he had a a tank with the king cobra, which you could 
tap the glass and it would rear up and do its cobra thing. I remember being really uh, not frightened by it. Snakes don't give me the willies the same way certain other creatures do. I won't tell you which ones because I don't want my podcast enemies to use that knowledge against me. But Spiders. Yeah. <laughs> there are certain creatures that just even thinking about them makes me shudder. Snakes, if someone was to throw a snake into our studio right now, I would be not happy. But snakes don't give me the willies just to kind of the idea that snakes are out there is okay i'm okay with that in a way that i'm not okay with spiders um, <laughs> in any case i i don't have the willies about snakes but i have always been kind of uh, fascinated by them and uh so ricky ticky tavi when i finally read it you know around that same age i knew what a cobra because tom tom had a cobra at his shop and uh tom, we'd found the snake so it all kind of it meant something a little bit extra and then there was something really bothersome to that really stuck with me about that story. And I think if I'd read the rest of the Jungle Book as a kid, it would have this this kind of thing would have stuck with me too. The morality of the story, the, the fact that the snakes are completely evil and that Ricky has no problem about just destroying them and he destroys the little snake eggs. Didn't I didn't necessarily think Ricky did the wrong thing, but that kind of lack of any kind of gallantry or compassion in the complete eradication of a threat of bad guys it was striking it wasn't how lancelot behaved it wasn't how i was used to heroes behaving there was something a little bit different about it there was some gallantry actually at least if he's to be believed you know so you have the scene where ricky's yelling at the snake well you ate a fledgling like what Mm -hmm. what kind of monster are you Right. The bird fell out of the nest and you just ate him up. And then uh, when Ricky says, you know, you need to go distract the snake so that Nagana so that I can go uh, take care of the eggs, Darby says, well, you're not going to eat, you're not going to eat the babies, are you? And, and it, Kipling says like, you know, he was insane, of course, you know, but Ricky says, no, I won't eat them, but I will take care of them. Yeah. And so there was, I don't know. I I well, felt like there was some sense of... We'll get a time machine. We can find eight-year-old me. You can you can explain it to him. I'm no, just how I'm just, long eight-year-old you was. <laughs> I'm describing a <laughs> feeling that I had. It, I may have been too soft-hearted. Sorry, I was. I didn't mean to make a claim about the story. The story is great. I'm just saying, as a kid, so it's not something you think anymore. No, yeah. I, I don't have a problem with Ricky Kiki Cavi killing killing <laughs> the, the snake the snake eggs. I think it's a great story. Yeah, uh, I don't have a problem with Mowgli killing Shere Khan, but there is a certain lack of. Uh, I was always used to the Robin Hood story where Guy of Gisborne drops his sword and Robin waits for him to pick it up. Ricky mm-hmm. Tiki Tavi doesn't wait for Nagina to pick up her sword, metaphorically speaking. Just chases her right into he her just, hole. Yeah, he goes down there and they fight to the death and that's what it's about. And that was that was eye-opening, you know, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. It doesn't make the story bad. It doesn't make the story immoral. Uh, there may well be a time that you don't let the bad guy pick his sword up. It just it just hadn't occurred to me as a, as a very soft-hearted emo kid. Leave eight-year-old Nathan alone. <laughs> well, I would say in a child story, when you have a villain like the Vipers, mm-hmm. like Smog also, and the Hobbit, their evil has to be palpable, mm-hmm. has to be real. Nothing's worse than a child story that tries to make the villain approachable. You don't want that in a child story. You want them to know that, uh, is it Chesterton who said the dragons are real and the dragons can be killed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it makes it darker for the child, but... The death of the villain and the heroics of the hero are that much stronger. So, absolutely, yeah. And in in Ricky Tiki Tabby, there's just no question that the cobras are pure evil. Yeah. And you know, when Ricky goes to the eggs, 
he says something like, you know, I did I couldn't have been here too soon. They're ready to hatch. And as soon as they hatch, they could kill me as well as, as a child. In fact, that's the first thing they do when they hatch, right? According to the story is they go and they find a person to kill. Is that in that story? I thought that's what it said. Maybe not. (laughs) I don't don't remember that. (laughs) I think I just made that up. (laughs) Pretty sure you did. That's pretty cool. I'd I'd like to read a story about like every when a young cobra is born, it has to find a human to kill. (laughs) (laughs) The cobra's burden. (laughs) The cobra's burden. (laughs) (laughs) The cobra's burden to eliminate the white man's burden. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll be honest. I'm I'm running out of things to say about the Jungle Book. What what else do you guys? Is there a discernible worldview? This is like the stupidest Christian schooling kind of question. But is there a discernible worldview here? And can you give it a name? No, I, I can't give it a name. I it, there's a, a it ain't Judeo Christianity. It ain't. As little as I like agreeing with people like Spivak and Homie Baba and yeah. George Orwell, <laughs> British imperialism mm-hmm. might be a good name for it, especially with that last story. I mean, that just came out of nowhere, but it was pretty British imperialistic. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys like The Jungle Book? There's a good question. Did you guys and your kids like The Jungle Book? My kids liked parts of The Jungle Book. My my kids also liked parts of it, which parts? and I felt I felt like I would have enjoyed it more if I would have been reading it from by myself or something like that. Oh really? But I, yeah, you're the one that said we had to read it to our kids. Well, I, I think no, that was legit. That was legit. Yeah. <laughs> so so mom is listening right now. She's 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 probably scrubbing away at the cast iron while she listens to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, should she 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 uh, should she get her should she read the Jungle Book or nag dad until he reads the Jungle Book to his kids? We could try it um, if you want to. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes classic pieces of children's literature are worth trying, whether or not a so it is worth a try. Of people yeah it is worth a try i think it's worth a try at the very least read ricky ticky tabby i didn't care about it that's the truth i didn't care much about it i felt more the tension of my kids being bored or not catching it or not being engaged Mm. or feeling like the stories just ran for far too long are your kids there are there stories out there in existence that will completely enrapture your kids absolutely absolutely no question there are lots of stories out there that my kids won't want me to put down but i and in fact i don't know that i've read something yet to my kids where they've complained in the middle of it that it's too long as we're getting ready for bed my kids going to bed is better than hearing the end of this story Mm -hmm. right that's a searing indictment from a kid i would think each story seemed, except for Ricky Ticky Tavi, each story seemed a few pages too long. Yeah. Do you agree with Jake's assessment, Brandon, basically? Yeah. My children did complain about the length of the stories. What about for yourself? Did you? It didn't grab me the way I thought it would. Should people read Just So stories instead if they're going to do Kipling? The Just So stories are... I like them much better. It's been a while since I read them, so I I don't even... Um, like they're how, not how as iconic. Got his spots and yeah, that kind yeah of stuff. they're not as iconic. I mean, I, I'll remember the characters from the Mowgli story. Maybe some of that's the Disney movie's fault that some of those characters are already imprinted on my mind. I'll remember Ricky Ticky Tavi. Mm-hmm. I remember that whole story. I'll, I'll remember to my of the elephants. I think 
but I'd, I can't right now off the top of my head recall any actual story from the Just So Stories, but I do remember that my kids loved it mm-hmm. and were engaged and always wanted me to be reading it until it was done and were sad when it was all done. Um, I read it not through the filter of kids, but through the filter of me, and <coughs> I was entertained. I wasn't not entertained. I enjoyed the stories. I especially liked the hunting of Ka. I thought Ka was cool, mm-hmm. and I thought that story was cool. I thought I, Ricky Tiki Tabby obviously is a beloved favorite that I have a lot of nostalgia for. I liked it. I hated the seal story. Sorry, seal story. Do we give it the coveted bookening seal of approval, though, to the Jungle Book? Or will this be the first book of the three that we've done to not get the coveted bookening seal of approval what defines the bookening seal of approval like whether we would recommend people read it yeah i think so yeah Yeah, sure (laughs) i'll give it half a seal half a seal (laughs) yeah i was i was yeah i don't know it's one of those it's one of those things where um is it worth reading to have read yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. It's something that you sort of want your kids to know or to have heard or to have read. You yourself want to have known to have read it. And it's short and it's easy. You want to check it off of your Western civilization knowledge checklist. It'll You could probably burn through it in an afternoon. And Yeah, I can't imagine reading it again with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> like I can imagine reading The Hobbit again. Yeah, I was actually glad we decided not to do uh, the second Jungle oh. Book so that we yeah. don't have to – I didn't have to go through it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go and finish. I'm not going to read the second Jungle Book yeah. to my kids. I'm going to say we can't – if it's just a give the seal of approval or not give the seal of approval, this does not sound like the coveted booketing seal of approval to me. All right. Coveted booketing seal of approval goes to East of Eden. Yeah. It goes sure. to Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Can we can we give the seal of approval to Ricky Tiki Tabby? Yes. There we go. There we go. Coveted seal of approval. I give it to Ricky Tiki Tabby without without hesitation. Without hesitation. That's the word. You should read Ricky Tiki Tabby to your kids. It's in all kinds of anthologies. You can find it online. Ricky Tiki Tabby's a great story, right, guys? Yeah, it it's is. fantastic. And your kids should know Ricky Tiki Tabby. They'll be terrified. They'll be happy. He's a wonderful character. It's a great story. You can do your mongoose noise. You could do your mongoose noise. <laughs> yeah. All right, we've got to enter something into this question, Tron 2000, boys, <clears throat> oh. about the question, what it makes a good children's story. I guess we've decided that Ricky Tiki Tabby makes a good children's story, so maybe we can extrapolate from that a good answer that won't get us blown up by this bomb that's been ticking this whole time that's dependent on the right answer. (laughs) Everyone's looking at me again. (laughs) We are all looking at Brandon. All right, so we have the kids' surrogate. We have Ricky, Ticky, and Teddy. We have the tension. We have the villains that really are villainous. And we have the narrator who is engaging with his storytelling, simple with his storytelling, and we have resolution and, like I said, happiness, but you don't agree with that point. No, I think that's a good point. Okay, I'm going to type this into the, the Question Tron 2000. We'll see whether it likes the answer or we get blown up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a, long, a lot to type. Can you just <laughs> tell me the whole thing again? Break it down into a f- surrogate hero. Okay. Engaging narrator. Okay. Villainous tension. <laughs> okay. Happy resolution. Okay. The end. The end. All right. Speaking of tension. 
All right. We have our answer. I'm going to read it to us. Wrong. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> A good children's story is properly defined as one that contains the Berenstein Bears. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. What is this thing? What a horrible machine. So uh, this bomb, I think, is going to go off now. Oh, no. Actually, it's printing something else out. Uh, let me see what it says here. Oh, it says bomb will detonate in five, four, three, two... Hello, my best beloved. This is William F. Buckley. And I'm William F. Buckley. And we're both here to tell you that this episode was written by the dearly departed Nathan Alberson. It was performed by Nathan Alberson. And of course, the pastor Jacob Mentor. And Brandon Chastity. PhD, ABD. Now you can go to Warhorn Media to find more episodes of this fascinating podcast. This is William F. Buckley saying goodbye to you, William F. Buckley. Goodbye, William F. Buckley. Goodbye. <laughs> we just lost all of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>